Okay, if you guys would like to prepare for the message today, you can turn to Colossians 4. We're going to be verses 7 through 18. And this is the conclusion of Colossians for us. So, Angelica, you're going to hear the outro to Colossians. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, do you want to come up and uh, share? Your <laughs> Okay. So once you guys get there, we'll, uh, oh, yeah, the box is upstairs. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. This is what's known as the signature. Very... Very long signature. Who needs Bibles? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bubbles. Okay, uh, it would be page 1187 in the book. I'm going to pray for us and then I'll, we'll stand together as we read the Word of God. Oh God, you have you have been so good to us. God, I thank you um, for letting your word endure. God, your testimony um, is faithful. Your promise is faithful. Um, and what we have here, God, I'm very very confident in the fact that it is your sure word, and that we can hear from you. God, that we're not, we're not left, lost, or without a witness to who you are and your character and your love for us. And God, I pray that you'll make us very uh, vulnerable to that word today. So as we hear it and we receive it, um, it'll, just, it'll bring life to us. God, I pray that if there's anything in the way today in any of our lives that would keep us from hearing from you, you'd remove that. God, protect this group. Um, their whole bodies. God, I pray that we'll learn just further how to be your body, the body of Christ, to be the church, um, and to look forward together to the day when there'll be, uh, when our faith will be sight. So God, we pray this together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read. Tychicus, a much-beloved brother, will tell you how I am getting along. He is a faithful helper who serves the Lord with me. I have sent him on this special trip to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and much-loved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will give you all the latest news. Aristarchus, who is a prisoner with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. 
And as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes to you, if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish Christians among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, from your own city, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He will always, he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident of the whole will of God. I can assure you that he has agonized for you, and also for the Christians at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Dear Dr. Luke sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our Christian brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and those who meet in her house. After you have read this, pass it on to the church at Laodicea, so that they can read it too, and you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the work the Lord gave you. Here's my greetings and my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May the grace of God be with you. You may be seated. Danny, is there a way to either turn this down or... I think there's a little feedback. If you guys hear it. If there's not, I can just yell really loud and I can turn it off. I don't want you guys distracted by the. I was. Okay, is that. I think that's better. That's good? Thank you. Okay, so today uh, we get to talk about the guys who were with Paul and Paul. We get through this whole book of Colossians, right, which has some phenomenal truth. This is how good the truth is in Colossians. That since the time of its writing, this word has been translated into over 1,800 languages. It is a best-selling book in all of history, right? And so this, is, this isn't just like, dear Colossians, I heard you were sick and I'm worried. This is... Paul passing along timeless truth, Holy Spirit-inspired truth, and, and you get to the end of this, and, and what is so helpful is it becomes something that seems very, uh, very theological and systematic if, if we could read it like that, because it, we've, in some ways we've come so far from it that now when we read it, it it's more of like a textbook to us, even though there's real... real uh, special, like, intimate parts in it throughout his whole writing, and it becomes more personal as he talks then to the family, and you guys, I don't know if you remember that, hopefully you did, I preached on it, Uh, (laughs) we talked about the family and then how the whole household works, and now we, we see even behind that who Paul is and the guys with Paul, and when I thought about this, have you guys ever been to Disneyland? Have you guys ever been behind Disneyland? Right? They don't allow people to take their cameras back there because it's gross. It, it, like, when you grew up, did you ever go back to the carnivals you used to go to? And you're like, I don't trust this. <laughs> and that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of the state of our hearts a lot of times. How do we trust what, uh, what I'm reading? Right? How, how do we trust authority of any kind? There's a, a great just mistrust of, uh, of not just truth, but those who carry truth. And so as we get even, even to this more personal look at Paul, as he's talking about the guys that are with him and himself, I think this is going to help us as we, as we finally close out our time in Colossians. 
because we need to see, we need to see him, the guy who's speaking to us. Um, we found out during the, the Bill Clinton administration, and I won't talk politics, but this is, this is the truth of what happened, is, is there was this real removal of, um, of word and action. We allowed it to be that, that someone could, could say something, but their personal life, well, we don't really care about that, right? That doesn't have, to, that doesn't have any dealings with their, their, their political stature, right? And so there's been this increased separation in our lives about the words we speak and then what we can do in private. And that's not meant to be there, and the Bible doesn't allow that to be there. And Paul's constantly saying, I want to be, I want to be transparent with you. And, and I hope we, we honor that in Paul. And I hope we want to honor that in, in not only the church, but in all our dealings, both personally and, and uh, publicly. And so... Um, I have this cool quote for you guys that will kind of lead us into this. And this is from Winston Churchill. I'm a big fan of some of his sayings. Um, this is from a book called Their Finest Hour. And speaking of the way him and his war cabinet responded to the, the whole situation in World War II. And this is what he says. He says, future generations may deem it noteworthy that the supreme question of whether we should fight on alone never found a place in the war cabinet agenda. It was taken for granted and as a matter of course by these men of all parties in the state, and we were much too busy to waste time upon such unreal academic questions. Right? And so as you see, right, not only are they leading this war, but then you, you see what's going on in their war cabinet, and they're like, we're not going to give in to the trivialities of whether we should fight or not. Right? We're getting attacked, and so we're gonna, this is the way we're going to respond. We're not going to give in to these academic questions. And you see the same thing in Paul. He says, when I come to you, I'm just speaking Christ. That might appear foolish to a lot of people. Right? It might be a stumbling block to some people. But I'm going to preach Christ, right? because I'm not going to give in to a lot of the, the fluff that we, we build our lives around. I'm going to cut right to the core of, well, you need, you need salvation, because you've lived in sin for a really long time. And he goes on de- declaring that throughout a whole book of Colossians, what that looks like. Um, and I would argue, though, with that, uh, that it became for us something that was even better than anything academic. Right? If we hear academic, what that means for us is we can talk about it and, and gab and, and uh, you know, enjoy a, a coffee or a beer over it. But then when we leave that room... Well, who cares if we figured it out or not, right? So we don't want to leave it there. But what, what Jesus Christ did in a bunch of fishermen and, and renegade Pharisees became what transformed culture, right? And it absolutely had a greater impact on the world than anything else we've ever known. Um, and now we get to see the players in that, right? Tychicus and uh, Aristarchus and these men who just were with Paul. This community of guys that um, went around getting beaten, uh, sometimes being accepted in towns, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. Right? Uh, a man who most of them were, ended up dying for what they believed. And so, uh, so we're going to take a look at him. I, first, I want to explain to you, uh, in their own writings, in this book of Colossians, what was of primary importance to them. And we've seen this, but it's to wrap up, I want you guys to, to see again their thoughts for the Colossians. And I believe their thoughts for you too, right? As he says, read the Laodicean letter. Read their letter. I just want everyone to hear about this. And the funny thing is that he never saw them. He had never been in Colossae, but, but his heart went out to them. 
Uh, he, was just, he was a very, very loving man. Um, this is what he says, Colossians 1.3. We always pray for you. We give thanks to God, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard that you trust in Christ Jesus and that you love all God's people. It's like we've heard about you and we love you guys. Good way to start a letter. One nine. We have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor God and please the Lord. And you will continually do good um, and kind things to others. All the while you will learn to know God better and better. 124, look at this, he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's suffering for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all of its fullness to you Gentiles. And skipping down a little bit, he says, for it has pleased God to tell his people that the riches of the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Um, later on, 128, he says, So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all wisdom God has given us, for we want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this, and I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I'll read one more. This is just, like, listen, listen to what he's saying then. This is incredible. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right, so listen, this is, this is a real letter. <laughs> He's saying to him. I didn't even count. But he says numerous times in there just his love for them. I, I labor for you guys. I struggle. There's a, the, the terminology in there really gives this, this picture of, it's like a, a woman in labor pain. He's, like, he's actually struggling for them until this reality of Christ, which they've heard of and they put their trust in, becomes a reality in their lives and their practice. He knows that, that faith, once it first springs up, has a lot of growth it has to do. And he says, in the moment I heard that you guys had faith, it wasn't that I was like, sweet, check off Colossae, I don't have to visit there. <laughs> but he thought, immediately I started praying, I started investing in them. Because I want them to grow and mature and experience the riches of Christ. Right? And so oftentimes when we think of evangelism, we can think, oh, that just means talk to all these people and maybe I'll never see them again. But for Paul, that was the beginning of it. For him, it was, this is the beginning of this relationship with you guys. That if you guys hurt, I hurt, even though I've never met you before. It was, he had this incredible tie to the church. And I want you guys to see that as he's writing. So you, you begin to know, Paul, you begin to know this guy who wrote over half of the New Testament. Right? Because, and he did that. He was this prolific writer. This wasn't, there wasn't a lot of writing being done at this time. And, and he's, he's investing in this, even though he had a lot going on himself. I mean, you can see he's constantly having guys coming and going, teaching, discipling. But took the time out to write Colossae. Why? Just because he loved them. And he tied himself to them. Um, I mentioned this before, but, but I want us to, see, us to see this in the context of even our community. Um, that I believed 
this really enriched the, the body there at Colossae, and even at Laodicea, because they begin to, to see Paul. Right? They begin to see their leader um, vulnerable before them. Right? If you know that someone, uh, someone loves you, And, they, they made, and love is a very vulnerable thing, as we know. I mean, Paul, he talks, remember his letter to the, the uh, Corinthians? He says, you know, even if I speak with you in beautiful words, he's like, it's nothing if I don't love you. Right? What does love mean to me? Well, love means that I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm going to always hope. I'm going to always trust. I'm never going to think about myself. I'm going to think about you first. Right? And so this is the relationship he's building with them. And the reason why we in our communities tend to be so alone um, whether it's in this community of our, our, uh, our church, maybe sometimes. There's a lot of, I, I, I speak to people, we, I spoke to somebody on Friday even that, that came and they just had this real damaged relationship with their church. And they were just hurting because of it, because they didn't trust their leaders anymore, because something their leaders were saying. And this happened. So there's, there's a lot of communities that remain alone because they can't trust each other. Paul said, I, I want you guys, uh, I want this, this church to be known. I just everyone to know that I love you. And if you guys need anything, man, I'll be there. <laughs> right? Jesus said he wants the community of people to be known. Why? Because they love each other. That's the mark of a Christian. They love each other. Um, but why is it that we in our churches, we in our cities, and we in our states, we in our country, countries, world, we seem to remain so alone? And I, and I think really because we don't, we don't value as much, because it's scary to value it, uh, what Paul is presenting here, this vulnerability. I want you guys to know me. And, and I know the elders of this church, uh, the pastors of this church, we want to be known by you guys. You guys can ask us questions. Right? Nothing's off limits. <laughs> um, and so as, as we begin to have this relationship together where it's, it's not in this spot of, Okay, well, because I, I believe, too, the pastoral role is a calling. It speaks about that in the Bible. But that calling, as you see in Scripture, is a calling not to be raised up, but to be a servant. Right? So even the role of leadership and the way the church functions together, right, that you can look to your next-door neighbor and be like, hey, you're my brother, hey, you're my sister. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means we share things together. Uh, not just saying, well, I'll pray for you and then you forget. It means, well, if I forget to pray for you, well, woe is me, right? I, I hurt if I forget to pray for you. Um, and that's something that we, you know, I'm preaching, but that's something we need to become increasingly as a church. It's not something I'm going to say and we're all like, okay, we do that, we're good, we're awesome. We're a church that, like, really succeeds in all these areas, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're a church that, that, I mean, as we read this, we need to grow in that. They were a church that learns to be not alone with each other, but very together with each other. So know your family, know your family's history. Right? One thing that will build your trust in... Uh, we're, we're famous in our age for saying, you know, I, I'm spiritual and I'm not religious. And we, we address this a lot at our church, uh, because, and that really comes from this distrust of religion, distrust of tradition, distrust of, of what has been. Because I can't even trust what is. How can I trust what has been? 
But man, invest in it. Read, read church history, right? Start from the time of Jesus and work your way on, right? Go to the Old Testament, because it's not hiding anything from you. You look at the story of Abraham, right? We're going through stories in, the, in our community groups right now. You look at Abraham. Well, he was not a very admirable guy for most of his life. Right? They go to a foreign country, and he's like, you know, wife, I think you're really beautiful. Maybe you can just say you're my brother, or I'm your brother, because I, I, don't, I don't want any conflict here. Right? And so it takes this tremendous amount of God's investing in his life for him to actually become the father of faith. Right? We see Rahab in the, her- in the line of Jesus, who's a prostitute in Jericho, and she puts her faith in Jesus, right? Old Testament people put their faith in Jesus too, right? And, and so we have this whole line. We have uh, David, right? Known as a man after God's own heart. But if you read most of his life, you're like, David, I'm not with you on this point. <laughs> and so, so the Bible is unveiling itself to you. The Bible, the Bible isn't keeping secrets from you. And that's, that's one of the things that, that helps us understand that the Bible is truthful is the whole, if you read most religious texts, it's very like, like, we're awesome. But most of the Bible's going, wow, we have a lot of things to work on, and we just, we're glad that God's faithful. We're really glad. Right? It describes us continually to ourselves as being prostitutes. The Bible's constantly calling the church a prostitute. Right? But we have a faithful husband. And so we need to be an honest body of believers that doesn't pretend like we're righteous apart from God. And so we want to be known, and, and, and Paul is constantly pushing for this. He's constantly pushing this, even to the point that he says, you know, even though I'm not there, and he tells this to Colossians, even though I'm not there, I'm there with you in spirit. <laughs> Maybe a little fear tactic, I don't know. But he, he's truthfully just like, I, I want you guys to know that, that just because we're far away doesn't mean there's not accountability. So there's accountability on all levels but not for the curse of the church, but for the blessing of the church. Not for the church to be, be constantly looking over its back and, oh, you know, every time you open your Bible thinking, what, well, what's going to judge me? But the Bible's opening itself up to you to reveal Jesus to you, right? And Jesus is, is the one who knows your sins because he bore your sins for you, right? And so if you're not honest with him, there's no use being honest with anyone else. And so this is, this is what the Bible is presenting. Constantly, pe- person after person after person who comes to God not on their own righteousness, but learning to be vulnerable to Him because God's being vulnerable with them, tying Himself to them in such a way that He con- says constantly, I'm grieved by these people. These people don't know their husband. These people don't know their God. Constantly, I'm holding my hand out to him, a disobedient, obstinate people. And why is He saying this to them? You're saying this because you go and remember. I have um, a, a statistic for you I, I read that was taken this year. It says 88, or 80%, nearly 80% of people distrust the government to do what is right, expressing a high level of distrust in Washington in a half century, according to. Uh, oh, it, so it's been going up basically for the last half century. And again, this isn't a political statement. It's just saying that we, we live in a place where 80% of the nation doesn't even think we can trust our authorities. And that's, that says a lot. I wouldn't say that it says a lot about our government because we elect them. Right? That says a lot about us. <laughs> right? if, this was a, 
some sort of monarchy, maybe that would say something about our government. This is democracy. Right? That we're constantly being wooed by people and, and maybe deceived by people. Or, or we go in, you know, full body first. Just, just here we go. We're going to put our, our trust in this person and then, and then we're shocked that they don't end up being God incarnate. Really. That's, we're constantly putting ourselves in this place. And, and then we get shocked by these statistics that we don't, we don't trust those that are in authority. And so where does that leave us? Um, this is a really interesting perception. This was in Reuters. It's a, it's a news source. Um, it says, Americans were found to be more frustrated than angry, with 56% expressing frustration with the federal government compared to 21% who were angry. And this is really interesting, right? So the way the response is, isn't, and this is good, it's, it's good that it's not anger, but think of that, frustration, it's merely this frustration that we don't know where to put our trust. Right? We, we can't trust the way our money is being spent. We can't trust uh, this or that or, or how crises are dealt with. There's just a frustration. Um, and this, I want to compare this. Uh, there's, there is some comparison here. Um, I, I've admired it in the years the way uh, uh, Billy Graham has uh, had, they've had their financial dealings they always have made their books available for people to see. Right? And that's very honorable. <laughs> Can you imagine the federal government being like, go ahead, you see what we spend our money on. Like, really? Check it out. Right? That's why the whole controversy over earmarks, if you know what that is. Right? <laughs> it's because we can't trust them to, to not slip something in. Constantly honest. But, but we, as a, as a church, and this is the way it always should have been, um, should be setting this example of saying, look, look at the way we spend our money on. And you don't even have to think about, about uh, ministries, like large ministries, but think about, I mean, would you, would you willingly say to somebody, go ahead and, uh, and look at my, my bank statement. Now, we've talked about this in our community group. I think bank statements really probably show the way, what you love, right? You spent $150 on Expresso this month? <laughs> really? <laughs> Right, so, so where we're where we're, in, we're in, <laughs> investing, yeah, I wouldn't inve- I wouldn't ch- advise you to do that here, even though we are a coffee shop. Right? In, invest wisely. I mean, we're, we're people that have been given, and this is this is a hard topic, and partly I choose this because really finances are the one of the one things that that churches really aren't supposed to talk about. We we've come to this point <laughs> where we can talk about. Sex. We are, we can talk about politics. We can talk about a lot of things at church. But if you begin saying, "Well, how are you using your money?" Right? People are like, "Hey, don't talk to me about that." Right? But it, it shows a lot. Let's be honest. I, you guys, you guys don't need to tell me how much you make or where you spend your money. But let's. Are we willing to be honest in every area of our lives? And, and I want. I want to be. I want. I know us as, as my dad and I preach every week. I want you guys to be able to ask us questions and us be very honest with you about the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money. We don't want to be hidden. Right? We, we've been saved as a community to live in community. Uh, there are private things in those communities. Um, but as we live together, there won't be health in that community if we're constantly keeping, um, keeping our, our, 
what really is important to us separate from what we say is important to us. And that's what happens most frequently. Um, so, how do we be honest with each other is a huge question. Um, that we need to ask. Paul, we're going we're gonna to look back at Paul really quick. If you guys want to turn with me to Acts 20. Um, and you guys will see this really cool look at Paul. Um, as you see all of his epistles, it, it, it tracks us in, in Acts, which is um, the action-adventure story of, of his travels. And it's called Acts of the Apostles, but, but truthfully, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's just moving guys throughout this whole book, and they're doing phenomenal things. Um, in verse 16 of Acts 20, we're going we're gonna to pick up here, and it says, Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem if possible, in the time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. So, <laughs> this is classic. So he's like, going in his ship, he sees Ephesus, and he thinks, I, I don't have time. And so they pull in, and, <laughs> and this is the last minute, he goes, yo, send the elders, I want to see them. I want to see him one last time. So there's this, this tugging in his heart because he knew he didn't really have time, but he really wanted to see him, so he decided to stop anyway. When they arrived, he declared, <laughs> You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the work, the Lord's work, humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sins and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. This is a cool relationship he has with the Holy Spirit, right? He says, he says the Holy Spirit's compelling him there, but then the Holy Spirit's telling him too. That, that he will face persecution. But then this relationship that he has with him, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed elders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out! Remember, the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care of you, night and day, and my many tears for you. You guys hear that? This is amazing. So he's, he stopped, called the elders to himself, and he says, take care of your flock. I'm going to be honest with you guys. There are going to be people within, within your own flock that will rise up and be vicious. Right. I, I love the honesty of Scripture. It's true. It happens. It's happened here in the years we've had. Right? Be careful. 
take care of your flock. And you saw me do it. You saw me, he says, over the three years I was with you, uh, I took care of you night and day and with many tears. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my needs and even the needs of those who are with me. I have a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive. Then he finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. So this is beautiful. This is, like I said, this isn't maybe what our church looks like. I, I, I love our church and, and, I, and I know there's a, a huge affection in our church um, uh, for each other and that's growing and we're knowing each other better and better. Um, but this is something we can work on, right? I mean, I love the tie Paul had with Ephesus. Right? He didn't want to pass him by, even though he knew it would be hard for him. But he wanted to tell him just a few words before he went on. Right? And, they, and they were grieved because they were going to miss him. Right? That's the relationship an elder should have with their people, that if they're gone, they're, they're missed. Right? And it, in too many situations, people can't trust those that are in teaching positions uh, in their churches or in other places because they feel like they're just telling them something but they don't really know them. And, and how we can remove that in our church is something we have to do together because it's a relationship. Right? It it's requires us. Right? As, as Paul said, I pray for you guys and I do. But it requires you guys praying for us too. Right? And so what that looks like. You see, in Paul, this amazing... Uh, passing on to those. And so it's not only in Paul's life, but you see what he values becomes what's valued to the guys that he's around, these guys that he's discipling and are becoming elders of these other churches, both Jews and Greeks. You see Tychicus, it says, he's a much beloved brother. He is a faithful helper who serves the Lord with me. He will encourage you. (laughs) This is great. Paul says, these guys with me, they're they're beginning to form ministries that look like him. He's like, I guarantee you when Tychicus comes, he's going to be just awesome. You guys are going to love him too. And that's, we want to see that. You know, how, how often do we send, you know, people abroad that are supposed to represent our country, and they do things where we're like, oh, can we excommunicate him somehow from our country? Right? We, how often are we not proud of those that either are in leadership positions over us or that we're discipling? Um, but they you had this. Paul was like, I'm more than willing to send these guys to you because they're going to bless you. Epaphras, who came from Colossae, and now he's made his home with Paul. Um, it says, he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident of the whole will of God. I can assure you that he is agonized for you and also for the Christians in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So you see this in Epaphras, right? So he's come with Paul, and it sounds like Paul. He's like, he's, and sometimes you see this. If you spend a lot of time with somebody, they'll begin picking up on characteristics you have. And sometimes you're like, why is he, that's, oh, why is he doing that? And you realize after a while, you're like, oh, that's my annoying characteristic that he's doing. <laughs> but sometimes, man, if, if, 
by the grace of God, you pass on something that is admirable, right? And I, and I think Paul probably isn't even aware of what he's saying with Epaphras. But he's saying something that, that he'd said earlier about himself, where he says, I agonize over you. And now he, he sees in Epaphras that he's agonizing over the Colossians. And he's praying earnestly for them. Man, may God grant us the grace to pass on those characteristics. Right? That we see something that we are, we're proud of. Because God's bearing fruit in the church. And what that looks like is people that bring blessing wherever they go. So if God keeps you here, God brings you somewhere else, you're bringing blessing with you. And you're being encouraged. Um, Archippus, we don't really understand. No one really understands what he's telling Archippus here or his relationship with Archippus, but he says, be sure to carry out the work the Lord gave you as he remembers him. And, and the assumption here is that he's an elder in a church, and Paul is just reminding him, maybe, because elders struggle, right? People in church leadership are invincible. They, they struggle, and oftentimes because of that struggle, they're even led into sin in their lives. And so we don't know the relationship with Paul. Maybe he knows Archippus is struggling. So he just says, man, carry out the work God gave you, Right? God is giving you this commission, and he who is faithful will continue that work he's, he's started in your life. Um, being an encouragement. And so, what I want us to see here, as we finish, and, and Paul gives his own handwritten signature here, um, is not only what blessed the early church, right, and was life for the early church, and churches are constantly saying, well, what's the early church model? Right? Is it and usually that means, where do you meet? Usually, right, if you guys have ever had the opportunity to tell someone you, live, you meet in a coffee shop, that's, that's kind of strange. Right? Or, or maybe you meet in a church building, or maybe you meet in a house, but that's not, that's not the early church model. Right? So people are constantly trying to justify where they meet. And that's, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. But make, what makes sense is the early church model is a group of men um, that, that are, or women and people that God is calling, right, uh, to be a blessing to their community, and he sets up elders over them so they can teach faithfully. So the early church model is this model of people just knowing each other in a community. And that doesn't mean there's no, uh, there's no, there's, it's not a hierarchy, it's not a chain of command, it's a, um, it's, it's really, it's a relationship for blessing, right? Um, because I know a lot of you guys have, all of you, right, have your own work that you do. Some of you guys might work in the shipyard, or Scott does, uh, does cement pouring, right? All these, so the means of the church is to be a blessing to those, to the people that you guys come, and you know, that we're vulnerable with you, and we're, we're telling you the truth as clearly as we can. The truth that Christ died according to the scripture, um, and what that means for us. Um, in his resurrection, is that he draws us into new life in him. And what that new life means for the community is that we just give be a blessing to each other. And to say that as clearly as we can, week after week after week, and just uh, for the church to be a family, right? to be the family of God together, that, that you guys really can interact together and really enjoy each other, not in a way that we're you have a, a veil of, of self-righteousness, right? But man, if God's blessed you with something, you can share that. If you're struggling with something, you can also talk about that. Um, not to remain there, but to ever increase 
and a desire to know God and be known by Him. Um, and so that's the desire of our church. And, I, and so I'm, I guess I'm really blessed to preach this Sunday. Um, as, we, as we continue, and our, our church is still, I mean, we look different every week, still at this point. Um, but, but for us to know our identity as a church and what that identity is, um, and, and us as your elders, uh, wanting to be a blessing to you guys. Um, but what that requires is us agonizing in prayer over you, but you guys praying for us too. Um, as we begin to trust each other and learn what that means in, in an age where trust is so uncommon. And that's why truth is so uncommon also. Right, that's why truth is comfortably considered relative. is because we don't, when we get, get in conversation with people, we don't trust them enough to, to believe they're, they're really telling us what they think or, or telling us what they really believe. I mean, I've had... I've had discussions with guys for hours and get to the end, they're like, literally don't care about what we just talked about anyway. And I'm like, oh, that devastates me, right? But, but we live in that, that sort of age where people are very content to hold loosely to life. And, and that's, that's the opposite. God wants you to grab a hold of it, right? To be, um, as it says, uh, Christ who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, and you might share in his glory. And that's, that's our desire, that Christ would not be uh, your hobby, but Christ would be your real life. And so that when he appears, which he will, that you'll be able to share in his glory. We can be a blessing to each other in that way. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us again, and we're going to sing some more together. Um, we're going to start in a new sermon series soon, next week. Um, Again, just for you guys' blessing. So, I'd, I'd encourage you guys too. Um, if you guys ever have questions for us, by all means, ask them. Um, if you have suggestions or, or ways, you know, we we're pretty informal here. Um, and so, if, if you guys think, well, I'd really like it if you had like a laser light show, you, know, you can recommend that. I don't know. I, we probably wouldn't do it, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, as, as we grow together, that we're in conversation together about it, so we can be, um, we can be really a, a blessing to each other. So, please bow your heads with me as we pray. Oh God, uh, I think the greatest truth in the whole world is not that we know you, but you know us, God, and that um, <laughs> that you've made uh, despite. Um, what we do with that relationship that, that we know you love us and you gave yourself for us. And God, I know you have so much desire for us as your bride, and I pray that we as a church can, um, can just be healthy. Um, it says in Ephesians that we can be the fullness of him who fills all things. We will not be ashamed of that identity, and that we can um, live for you in all honesty before a world that's just hurting and not knowing where to look to for truth, and, and not even knowing if anyone can be trusted. And God, we trust you. You're, you are trustworthy. I want to give you praise for that. And I just pray we honor you as a, a body together. God, please bring us healing. Um, there's so many in our congregation right now that need healing physically, um, healing spiritually. 
as we do, as we've grown up with so much, much misunderstanding, God, that you'd, you'd just work healing in our hearts and our souls. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.